the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 542 for March 1st, Sunday, 2015. And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where we answer questions, we share your tips, we share cool stuff found. The goal being, of course, to learn a bunch of new things. And yes, folks, a bunch is the number that is your goal and ours for today. This episode is sponsored in part by Smile Software or, uh, yeah, Smile at smilesoftware.com. PDF Pen 7 for Mac we'll talk about shortly here. Also sponsored by Linda at lynda.com slash MGG to get you uh, 10 free days of their training videos. And we're going to go through some training videos that uh, that some of you have watched and learned from. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. Right now here in just starting to be snowy Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in uh, it's been snowing for a couple hours. Uh mm. And, uh, and the roads are a mess and uh, I don't know what my tax dollars are going for. I haven't seen a plow for, for hours, man. Dude, your tax dollars were exhausted like three weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> but here in Fruitful, Connecticut, John F. Braun. Yeah, it's um, we were down in Florida this week, John, for uh, for a couple, uh, I don't know, five days or something. It wasn't entire. Well, it wasn't warm by Florida standards down there, but it was totally fine. It was, you know, in the 70s and I didn't need to put a coat on to go outside. So that was good. I think yeah, I broke I my you, uh, I think I broke my toe. Oh, I, I saw you lounging in a hot tub there. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah, yeah. Sweet. Yeah. I um yeah, I I was chasing my son on the beach and I hit one of those little stumps, you know, and my 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 little toe on my left foot um was going sideways. Actually, I don't think I broke it. I think I just dislocated. I popped it back into play. It doesn't matter. They think the treatment for the both is the same. Just don't, you know, don't mess with it. Let it heal. So, yeah. uh yeah. So, but that's, you know, vacation, fun. Good to be back. Actually, really excited to be back today. I have four hours of sleep. I think I told you that, John. So, uh, so we have no idea how this one's going to go. And that's, that's kind of what makes it fun, isn't it? It depends on how you define fun. Yeah. Well, for you. How about, inter- how about interesting? For you as the listeners. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Uh, I do, though, want to talk about our first sponsor before we get into things here, John. And that is Smile at smilesoftware.com. They've got a brand new build, a brand new version of PDF Pen 7 for OS 10 for your, for your Mac. PDF Pen 7, uh, you know, if you know about PDF Pen, which I think you do if you've listened to this show uh, for any length of time. But if you don't, it is a piece of software to really help you do whatever it is you would need to do with PDFs. And yes, that includes editing them, marking them up, adding signatures, creating and using fill in forms using iCloud and Dropbox to sync them so that you can edit on either your Mac or your iPhone and share the results back and forth. Uh, You can touch up images inside of a PDF. You can then uh, take a scan document and uh, OCR it so that you have editable text inside a PDF that makes it more efficient and, you know, it shrinks it down and also makes it so that you can edit stuff and you can, uh, whether the text was OCR or if it's just normal text inside of a PDF, you can correct and even redact text. Here's the thing. Every one of those things I just mentioned to you, 
you, they have little two to four minute training videos right at smilesoftware.com. And these videos have been done by our friend David Sparks over at, uh, you know, Max Sparky, right? He, he's the co-host of the Mac Power Users podcast there. He does great videos. This guy is awesome. And uh, and so you can go watch some of his his videos there uh, just to see how this stuff is done. So you definitely want to check all that out at smilesoftware.com. Again, you know, for those of you that have PDF pen and, and uh, haven't upgraded to seven yet, it's got a new Yosemite modern user interface. Um, you now get to proof the text that it uh, that it converts OCR is optical character recognition, which means, as I said before, you can scan a document uh, and then bring it in and it will convert that to text. But now you get to proof that so that you can you know, keep the, the correction process kind of starts as part of the scan or as part of the OCR process, as opposed to doing it after the fact. Uh, they've got some great stuff. They've, they've really done some performance improvements. And as I mentioned, iCloud drive and Dropbox now to sync PDF. So check it all out. Smilesoftware.com and uh, PDFs pen seven for OS 10 is right there. So check it out and be sure to let them know that, uh, that we sent you. Uh, you can even send them a tweet. I believe they're at smile software and tell them that, uh, that Mac geek Gab sent you their way. We'd appreciate it. And they would too. So, all right, John, you want to take us to, uh, to our first question of the day, my friend, to Robin, please. <clears throat> Yes. So Robin writes, hi, guys. Just wondering if the collective Mac Geek Ab team have any ideas how I can set up a drive to automatically mount at a specified time of day. I have a drive that is permanently attached to my Mac mini server, and I want to use it as a clone target for carbon copy cloner. Ideally, I would like to unmount it when the clone is finished. All this can be done in carbon copy cloner. What I would like to do is find a way to mount it either every day or once a week, etc. automatically which would then trigger the CCC clone to happen. Any idea? Something non-terminal would be preferred. I got a great answer, Dave. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have one too, but I'll, uh, you, you take the lead. Uh, I, I will take one. the lead because uh, also there's a geeky uh, uh, aspect to this. So, um, so I, I do almost the exact same thing, Dave. So I have the Mac Mini. I have... Um, not a drive, but uh, actually a, a self-built array with a disk that actually went bad recently. Maybe we'll talk about that later. But um, I do the exact same thing. And I have a C uh, carbon copy cloner task that will uh, do the clone every day at about two in the morning. Um, the thing is, Dave, uh, I think the answer here is that carbon copy cloner does it. And that it not only wakes up the machine to perform the task, it will mount the destination, which it... Uh, as Robin pointed out, been previously unmounted by the same task. Um, now, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if this is new in 4.0. Maybe it is. Uh, Do I get the sense that Carbon Copy Cloner has always been able yeah. to mount a drive that um, has been unmounted? That, that's correct. That would have been my answer is just have Carbon Copy Cloner run and it will mount the drive. It's that simple. Now, a couple of geeky tangents here. So yeah. number one, the thing is, you can see, if you use something like this utility, which is free and built in, you can actually see the drives that are on your system that are not mounted, but, but are, are present. Uh, so one thing I want to offer is that you could, now he says he doesn't want to deal with the terminal, and I, I agree, that's, you know, if you don't have to go there, don't. Um, but I do believe, Dave, if you did want to from the terminal, I think you can say is the command mount. 
I'm not sure if it's mount from the terminal, but the thing is is what you need to know is you need to know the path to the drive. And this is where if you wanted to do it yourself, and I'm sure this is what carbon copy cloner is doing underneath the uh, underneath the hood. Well, you need to know the device path. You need to know exactly. the device ID. Yeah. And what I'm suggesting is that if you go into disutility, you will see your drives that are not mounted. And then if you do a get info on the drive, I believe that will give you part of, because yeah, it's something, you know, slash dev slash something. So, uh, but um, what you see in the get info and disutility, specifically the disk identifier is part of that. Now it's not the entire path. So I'm kind of letting you guys down here, but, but this is a part of how you would, create or or learn what the disk identifier is. So you then, if you wanted to from the terminal, you could mount a drive that has been ejected or unmounted. Sure. Same thing, right? Right, right, right. So I want to offer that. But then the other thing, Dave, so, so, you know, I, I went on a learning journey. I've, I'm doing a lot of these lately (laughs) and it's fun because we're geeks. Yeah. But um, the thing is, uh, things have changed a little bit. So in the past, um, you thought I was insane, I think, but, but I actually suggested that iCal, now Calendar, can also do something like this for you. Though it's changed a little bit, Dave. So in the past, iCal, if you defined a recurring event, if you will, one of the options in iCal is um, alert actions. And you can have a beep or send an email. We call it Calendar, right? Yeah, I, I think I just said that. It used okay, to be iCal, yeah, now it's right. calendar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. Underneath the covers, they still use iCal in some of the naming of, of the low-level files. That makes sense. Sure. Um, but the thing is, well, one thing when you define a calendar event is there's alert actions. Now, it used to be where it actually explicitly said in, in past versions, I think back when it used to be iCal, it would say run script, which uh, you know is, is kind of trivial um, to get a script to uh, mount the drive. Now it's a little different, Dave, in that the uh, the list of actions is somewhat smaller now, and it's called open file, mm. which if you create, uh, so what I'm suggesting here, this could be a strategy for very you know quick and dirty uh, defining of a task that occurs every day. Is make an I uh, you know do it in calendar, say um, uh, you know define the. Uh, alert action and then say open file. And then what you could do is either as an Apple script or an automator action, you could say open file and open an application, which mounts the drive. But in this case, you don't need to do it. But if you want to do other things, um, so yeah. I guess what I'm coming away with yeah. is calendar uh, calendar still does this, but it's uh, again, it, it doesn't, maybe no, it's not you, the best way to do it. I well, mean, you could, uh, I mean, what, what's, you're totally right. I would use when you were saying that, I'm thinking, well, sure, but you could, you know, better would be to use Lingon and create a, uh, you know, a launch item that actually just does this and and or not a launch item, but, you know, a, um, uh, a launch T item that that sits and does this on its regular schedule. And that's much better. And because you're you're doing it at the system level as opposed to the application level. And that maybe that runs a little better and you don't need to be logged in for it to happen and all that stuff. But um, although you could, you, you could be it, um, you, it, launch items or launch D items can be uh, login dependent as well. But you know, the reality is that's not, it's not overly complex to do it, especially if you're using something like Lingon, but the calendar, you know, it does do this and and there's nothing wrong with doing it that way. And that way you get to manage it with Apple script and do the whole thing in the GUI without having to learn, uh, you know, the nuances and, and, and fight with, you know, testing all those scripts and everything. So 
This way might actually be the right way to do it, John. It's certainly not the wrong way. There are many right ways to do it, but, um, right. It's yeah. a good follow-up, Dave. So you know where I'm getting this follow-up here? I'm getting it from our chat room. And okay. If you wanted to go to our chat room, which is a live audio stream and also a IRC chat, you would go to macgeekgab.com slash stream last I checked. Yeah. And we have a few people uh, pointing out some things here. So uh, so one uh, phone app says, oh, well, the other thing you could do. So th- this is a better answer than I had with this utility is when the drive is mounted, if you go to slash volumes, and then he says, do DF space slash dash H space vertical bar space grep volumes. You will get this uh, mysterious path that we were all talking about. Sure. Yeah. You don't even need to do the grep on volumes. It'll, I mean, it just, there's not many things in that list. So, right. So that's absolutely a better way because yeah, this utility, like I said, does not give you the, the, the full or at least what I suggest. It doesn't give you the full path. Yeah. So, uh, but no, that's right. DF yeah. space dash H it, it, the dash H isn't even necessary here df would do it um the only thing dash h does is it uh a lowercase h uh, tells it to report sizes in human readable format so you'll get things in, uh, in gigabytes and instead of uh, 512k blocks or whatever it is but um but either way it's going to show you the file system which will be you know slash dev slash whatever slash disk zero whatever it is yeah. And we also had some people ask here, and I think this is deprecated, but then the, someone else asked here, does OS 10 do cron jobs? And I, I think cron is a, yeah, it's kind of not the cool kid on the block anymore. No, launch D replaced it. I, I said, okay. Yeah. You but, said that. but it's okay. still usable. I mean, it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's there, but, but you're better off with launch D. It's far more flexible. So, uh, and not overly complex. So, <laughs> Hey, actually, I think I remember you and I had a, had a battle this. online about this because, well, no, you, you know, and you said, well, cron's deprecated. And I'm like, well, it still works. Yeah. And you're like, well, yeah, but it's deprecated. And I'm like, well, yeah, it still works. But it still works. <laughs> I, and I don't think it'll ever be removed. And I know we're getting pretty geeky here, but uh, but that's what you get with two geeks. And one of them, at least one of them with only four hours of sleep. I don't know how I don't know how much sleep you had, John. But uh, but yeah, no, I. I don't think there's anything wrong. I, you could do things and rely on cron and, and I don't know. I, you shouldn't though. It's better off to use launch D. It's just more flexible. It, it's so much better. Yeah, exactly. As Paul's saying in, in the chat room, cron's part of Unix. So it's, it's not going to go away. It's just not the preferred thing in OS 10 right now. Yeah. Okay. So we kind of went a bit down the rabbit hole here. Yeah, that, we like the rabbit. That's what we do. And well, I like the rabbit hole too, because actually last night I, uh, I, I watched, uh, I pulled Alice in Wonderland out of, um, Oh, nice. My collection there. The cartoon I version. That and also, yes. The yeah. animated Disney the animated, animated version, yeah, which I think is like 1950. I know it's one of my favorites. Wow. I love that. That and TH, THX one, one, three, eight was a double feature. Oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> that's a wacky one. <laughs> Uh, it's one of Lucas's early works, but anyways, talking questions and answers, talking about backups, uh, Joe writes, he says, uh, if I have a big backup drive and want to use it, some of it for say carbon copy cloner backups or crash plan backups and the rest just for say general storage or, uh, items like that, is it better to use separate folders to direct that stuff or should I use different partitions? I haven't used partitions in years since the Microsoft days. So how do they show up when you're searching the drive? I know that's probably a stupid question. You know, there's no such thing as a stupid qu- other. Actually, that's not true. There's lots of stupid questions. That's not one of them. Uh, and, and so no, uh, you definitely should use partitions when you 
use partitions in OS 10, they actually appear as separate drives. So they'll appear if you have your drive set to appear on the desktop, they'll appear on the desktop as separate icons in the in the devices list along the left hand side in the column in the finder. They will show up there as separate drives. It's technically, of course, one disk drive, but they are separate uh, volumes on that drive. So they show up separately. And you definitely for backups want to be using partitions um, a for a clone and really anything where you're backing up raw files, which is what a clone does. It's just a copy. There's nothing. It's not in some capsule or whatever. It's just the, the a copy of the files. Uh, you don't want spotlight indexing that drive all the time. Now, yes, you can turn spotlight off and yes, magically it will come back on because that's how this stuff kind of happens. So you want to do, you know, going back to Robin's uh, initial point, you want to eject that clone after it's finished so that it's not online. It's not getting messed with. You're not accidentally editing a file on your clone. That's then going to get blown away when the next clone happens and all of that. So you're much better off using partitions because you can just get it offline um, and, and then only have it mounted while you're doing your backup. So yes, partitions are definitely the way to go. Um, and you can create them in disk utility. It's very, very simple. Uh, you do, you will wind up, uh, destroying data on the drive as you create partitions in many cases. Sometimes you can kind of rejigger things, uh, without, uh, you can non-destructive partition, but, um, but safe to say that you're, you're going to wind up needing to, to kind of move things around that way. So yeah, partition the drive. Absolutely. Joe, that's, that's the way to do it. Thoughts on that, John, before we move on. I do both, Dave, like I mentioned to you. So I have, um, you know, I have the, these two drives here that I made into a RAID array. Yep. The thing is the drives are different sizes. So number one, you're asking, you may be asking yourself, what's a RAID array? A RAID array, at least what I did. So in disutility, you can define various RAID arrays. What I decided to do is take two drives, one on USB, one on FireWire 800, and um, make a mirror, which basically means um, that both drives have the same contents and the the... When you, when you build it, the uh, software, you know, there's some piece of software that basically behind the scenes copies the data to both of the drives. But the thing is, Dave, because the drives were different sizes, I had some space left over in one of them. One was a 300 and one was a 500. So to build the RAID array, I have two 300 megabyte partitions or gigabyte. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then the other 200, I made a separate drive for whatever else I would like to do. So, um, cool. So the answer is yes, I, I am yeah. partitioning. I, I used to be wary of it because, I mean, the thing is, you know, if your partition table gets whacked, and I think I had this happen one time, uh, where, yeah, one of my drives just got totally corrupted by disutility. I'm looking mm. at you. It actually destroyed my partition table um, on one of my drives, and, and it all was lost. Yeah. But I think well, it's that's gotten true. a lot better now. Yeah, well, it'll, and, and that can happen, and that's why you have backups. You know, you don't, don't trust you your data Now you can resize... Anyway. I, I guess my hesitation in the past also is that in the past it was generally kind of a pain in the neck to resize a partition, but right now a disutility does a pretty good job of that. Last I tried it. Yeah. Some of it, you, you know, and, and the sad part, it, but it doesn't do a lot of it. it. If you need to resize partitions, chances are, I would say probably 70% of the time disk utility is going to tease you into thinking you can do it. And then it will, <laughs> no. And then it tells you, yeah, no, no, that's not going to happen. Um, but uh, it used to be that ProSoft's uh, Drive Genius, I'm trying to get mm -hmm. my software names right, 
uh, would let you do it. That is gone in the the latest version of, oh. of Drive Genius. Yeah, which is too bad. However, uh, there is that piece of software out there called iPartition, I believe, from Coriolis Systems, and uh, and they've kept up to date, and they will let you do this stuff, and it it works. In fact, I, I really want to check out the latest version of it. But um, but it, yeah, that so that's your that's your answer is is you try it with disk utility because it's free and then go spend the 50 bucks and, uh, and use iPartition because that's, what's actually going to work for you. Um, so, and then maybe also pester the ProSoft folks that, you know, Hey, you took this out. Why? But, uh, but maybe, maybe not enough people needed it. And so that's why they, they didn't put it in. Hey, uh, I want to talk about our second sponsor here, John. I mentioned it was Linda and I'm very excited to talk about this because, uh, well, because it, it, it's, it's a fantastic thing. You know, we talk about how the goal is to, when you listen to this show to learn some stuff and have some fun along the way. And that's what Linda does. Uh, they, they teach you the whole goal uh, of your membership at Linda and the whole goal of what they do over there is to teach things. Uh, they have these video courses that they've put together and I mean, I, I've taken a lot of these courses and it's, you know, it's arguably better than a classroom in a lot of cases. Sure, you don't have the teacher right there, but man, you get to work at your pace. You don't have anybody else slowing you down or speeding you up. You get to pick exactly what it is you want to do. And we've asked you folks to tell us about the courses that you've taken. And so we've gotten actually several emails, uh, Brandon and Mike and Garrett uh, and Ben all wrote in and I have some courses to tell you about here. And those are uh, up and running with bash scripting, which actually I think is one that we mentioned in the last show. I can't recommend this enough. This one, it's pretty fast paced, but man, there are so many cool things you can do with shell scripts. You want to talk about, you know, with these cron jobs, man, you can move so far along. So definitely check that one out. That one is like, uh, I would say if you want to get into the terminal, that's going to dive you deep. Um, HTML essential training. So if you want to do some stuff with HTML, that's where you're going to learn it. Uh, CSS fundamentals. Uh, one of my favorites that I, I, I say favorites, it's on my list because I've really got to get better with this stuff. Using regular expressions. Yeah, these are kind of geeky. Um, but, but that's the point is you can learn whatever you want. And, uh, and last but not least suggested by Mike foundations of programming, object oriented design. That was one thing that for me, I, you know, I started programming before object oriented stuff was, was at least in vogue. I think it existed, but, uh, I never really grokked the whole concept and, and, uh, and the, the Linda folks really helped me kind of just, uh, it's not that hard. It's just, I never thought about it that way. So um, so yeah, check these things out. You know, they, they've got the, the instructors. These aren't just, you know, random people that put this stuff together for Linda. They go out and they find experts in their field. True, honest to goodness experts. Uh, and you know, you, you find them and then, uh, and then off you go. And, and they, they, they do a great course. It's a video. Sometimes you see the teacher, sometimes you see the computer screen, or sometimes you see slides, whatever makes the most sense. Everything's organized into chapters so that you've got a whole little uh, uh, workflow that you can go through and you can have it stop at the end of chapters. If you want to kind of experiment or, you know, get a drink of water or whatever it is, 
awesome. And they really, and they've been doing this a long time and they really know what to do. Here's the deal though. You get 10 free days, lynda.com slash M G G that's L Y N D a.com slash M G G gets you 10 free days. And I want to hear from you what courses you've taken or what courses you're going to take. And like we did with the rest of the folks uh, earlier this, uh, you know, this, this episode, we'll, we'll share what those courses are and we can all kind of learn together. So L Y N D A.com slash M G G. And uh, you let us know what you're doing with your 10 free days of Linda. What did you do with your 10 free days of Linda? That's my question for you. All right, John, you want to take us to Laura? Yes. Awesome. I'm, I'm curious to know what happens. Because today is the day. Okay. <laughs> or yesterday was the day. I'm sorry. So Laura writes, on Saturday, I'm taking my mid-2012 15-inch MacBook Pro, which I believe is the same machine that I have, Dave, unless it's the Retina, um, to an Apple store two and a half hours away so they can look at my display and hopefully replace it since it's still under Apple Care. From what I've read online, the dead pixel problem I'm seeing all over my screen is popular with that particular model. I've never taken my previous MacBooks in for service before, so I wasn't sure what the best plan of action would be to protect my data, especially since I think they're going to have to keep it for several days. After I've made a backup, I use Time Machine, but haven't gotten around to buying Carbon Copy Cloner. I figured I could use the 30-day trial if necessary. Is it enough to create a separate user account with admin privileges that the Apple Store can access? Do I need to wipe my hard drive completely? Can they get... To my keychain login passwords, do I need to enable File Vault? My laptop never leaves my house and my Wi-Fi is encrypted, so I usually don't worry about massive security protocols. Good question, I think. <laughs> no, it is a good question. Uh, no, it's a really good question. Because it's I, concerned. Whenever a machine gets out of your control, out of your physical possession, there's the potential for shenanigans. Now, I want to say bringing... something. I, I want to say something right up front because you made you, you made a, a reference to this. Uh, when someone else has physical control of your machine, you have to unless the data is encrypted and they don't have a way in. You have to assume that they have access to all of it. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Now. You're bringing it to. Apple, okay. You're bringing it to the, the Apple store and assuming you get it there successfully, I, I would say there's a relatively low probability that someone at Apple is evil and would, would do bad things. But other people may. Sure. All right. And so it's I'll possible that out right that the, there. It's possible that the geniuses would. I'm not I'm not we haven't even ever even heard of this, so I, I don't want to raise no. the alarm. I mean you, you could have you could have a rogue correct evil Apple employee that sure. plunders your data and does bad things. But I have never heard of such a, such a thing. No, but they don't pay the geniuses all that much. So I <laughs> know uh, seriously, they used to pay them a lot more than they do now. So, you know, um, yeah, still. Yeah. All right. But better safe than sorry. So uh, no, we love geniuses. I love geniuses. Absolutely. In the past. No, so, um, absolutely. But, uh, so not so much. I, I wouldn't be worried about what happens at the Apple store, but when, when it's, it's being, fondled or, or touched by people that aren't Apple employees and have policies and procedures and stuff like that. So what I've done in the past, Dave, now, if you want to be totally safe, now this machine, again, if this is a mid 2012, 15 inch MacBook pro and not the retina, but if it's the, the, the machine that I have, what I would do and what I have done in the past is I would pop my working drive out of the machine. I would put in another drive. I would reinstall the OS uh, via the CDs or now recovery um, that the machine came with, and I would ship it to him with that. 
chance of them getting at your data, zero. <laughs> Unless they come to your house and take your driveway. <laughs> That's what I've done, Dave. Yeah. Um, again, better safe than sorry. Um, so this would provide 100% certainty that no one would have access to your data because it's never out of your hands. And then what you could do is put the drive in an enclosure. And if you have another Mac, and I've also done this as well, you should be able to boot that drive from another Mac and, uh, you know, whatever you do on, on that drive, you know, email or aperture, wh- whatever your, your daily tasks are. Um, you can just carry on as normal and just boot it from another Mac. And then when you're, when that machine comes back, do the reverse, pop that drive back in and then you, you pick up where you left off. You may want to make a backup in the meantime. Yeah. Uh, as, as uh, Laura was suggesting. Yeah. Always make a backup. Um, just should be doing anyways. And that, you know, I kind of said that, uh, hinted at that in my response. Um, I, I would say so. So, so the statement was, you know, I'm doing time machine. I, again, I, I, I'm not crazy about having just a time machine backup because it's not bootable. Yes. If, if, uh, if bad things happen to the drive when it's out of your possession, then yes, you can restore your data um, from a time machine backup, but you know, it takes a while. Whereas yeah, having Apple, a bootable backup is great. Um, you know, again, when you run and, and I think you're, well, go. Well, run. yeah. When you, when you drop something off at the genius bar, one of the first questions they ask you is, do you have a backup of your data? And they, you know, the, the understanding is that in the troubleshooting process, they need to do whatever they want to do to your machine to get to the root of, of and hopefully solve the problem. And sometimes, but not always, sometimes that means we're going to wipe the drive and reinstall a fresh OS. They'll be pretty honest with you about what the chances are of that needing to happen. You know, when I brought mine in and it was clearly a, a you know, some kind of hardware issue, they're like, look, you know, do you have a backup? I said, oh yeah, absolutely. And they, and I said, but I don't have the right kind of backup that gets me access quickly so I'd rather not wipe the drive. They're like, yeah, I don't think we're going to need to, but we just like to make sure. I'm like, oh, no, 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 that's good. Um, you know, uh, phone app in the chat room had a fantastic suggestion. Uh, and phone app says, if you want to structurally protect your data without removing the drive, uh, set up another partition on that same drive and encrypt both of them, or at least encrypt the other one, the one with all your sensitive data, and install an OS and a fresh user account and everything on this separate partition and just give Apple access to that. So that mostly protects mm-hmm. your data. I mean, they still have it in their hands, but if it's encrypted and they don't have the password, it makes it far more difficult for them to get into it. Uh, and it keeps you from having to, you know, on, on your machine, real easy to take the drive out, right? On most others, not real easy to take the drive out. So, uh, you know, you, you might you might cause more harm or risk more harm being caused uh, by removing the drive on uh, on a machine where that's not, you know, built to happen. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, yeah, now to wrap it up, though, the least amount of work would involve what Laura proposed, which is to set up another account on the machine, yes. which is similar to what you just said, Dave, instead of partitioning similar drive wise, you're partitioning user wise. What Laura said, I would not do in that I would not create another admin account. Oh, they need an admin account, though. Okay, well, then that's a bad idea, because the thing is, if you're concerned about securing your data, any admin account can fiddle with any other admin account. That's right. 
or if they require admin, then no, because my suggestion would be if you make a user account, then that's cool because a user account uh, doesn't have the ability to fiddle with other accounts like that's an admin right. level. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, as far as file vault, that's really not going to do much for you at this point because they need the password in order to access a file vault encrypted drive. That's right. Yeah. Right. So the question of that is it's a good thing to do, but it's, it's not going to protect your data once someone else has the machine and they need to, uh, log into it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, if, if they've got an account, your data is decrypted. And as far as the, uh, the, the keychain question, you can password your keychains. If you click on various keychains, like I do this with my certificate keychain, Dave, uh, being ultra paranoid because if somebody gets at your certificates, they're you. Um, but the thing is you can password, and, and I actually have all my email certificates in a keychain called, I think it's called email. Oh, you took uh, my advice. I like yeah, it. Yeah, I did. Every now and then I, I, I listen know. to what you say. That's good. And then I password this, or actually, no, I think the setting is if you click on a keychain, I think you can say request password if. Yeah. There are various conditions that you can put on various keychains. So, yeah, a- anytime I have an email that involves uh, either my reading or generating uh, a signed or encrypted email, I'll get a prompt for a password. Yeah. Yeah, I have mine set to, um, to lock after five minutes of unuse. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise it gets to be a pain in the neck because it always asks. Because it's always asking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So if you want to protect your keychain, that, that, that's a good thing to do as well. And again, you may want to partition the various items in your keychain, like we just suggested, so that uh, the items in your keychain that, that are very sensitive are in their own keychain. Yep. That, that's a pretty, pretty straightforward to do in keychain access. Yeah. And it, it, you know, the, the nice part is the system sees all of those items simultaneously. So, you know, in, in this case that, that you're describing here, John, if you've got your email keys in a separate keychain, you don't need to go and tell mail that they're somewhere else. It, the system sees all of your keychains and then says, Oh, I need something in that one. So uh, it's not automatically unlocked. So would you please give me access to it? It, it, it? It's actually very well done. It's one of the kind of the, the least touted features of OS 10, but it's it's a very handy one because like you said, you can partition stuff. Maybe you've got, you know, you could take your bank passwords, right? And put those in one keychain. And maybe your, you know, I don't know, the password to your nation state's account or whatever in another one. Maybe you don't care. Maybe you don't care as much about your bank passwords as you do your nation states. Or maybe it's the other way around. I don't know. Depends on what's important to you. But you can do that. And that way, you know, you're not bothered during the day when you're playing games or whatever. But when it's time to get into your bank, it's like, hey, whoa, you know, you moved your password over here. And you can drag stuff around but from one keychain to the other. It's actually quite... uh quite flexible I, it's it's pretty impressive so i'll tell you my only fist shake dave and you may have noticed this too is you and i both noticed this in yosemite mail i keep getting these um signature errors oh with s mime oddly, oddly enough with uh mostly with our mac geek app communications which you and i share that certificate my guess is and that's come why. up and, and, it, and it keeps coming up and says a uh, signature verification failure and I click on the details button and it shows me the cert that I have and you have. And it's like, no, it's a, but the thing is I, I it, it's so I let it's me, let me explain. Um, it might be a bug in mail. Yeah. But so we have a, a single certificate that John and I share uh, for our S mime email 
for Mac Geek Cab. Uh, and that way, you know, we, when we send email out, we can sign it. And if you want to, uh, coming back in, you know, you can encrypt email with us and then we can encrypt back and forth to you. And we do that with a lot of you. Um, but in order for John and I to be able to manage that, we have to share the same certificate. And I think the only time I've seen those, those errors are on emails that you've sent, um, that are encrypted. I never see them on mine and, and vice versa. You never see them on yours. You sent, you see them on, on the ones that I've sent. So I think there's something about when it's sent from a different computer. I don't know what it is. It didn't happen in Mavericks, but it's something about Yosemite and, and probably saying, well, I didn't sign that one. I don't know how that got signed that way. And so I'm going to throw a flag. I think, I don't know. It's, it's yeah, I'm, frankly, it's you know, probably I'm a rabbit. Now? It's not worth going down. Uh, no, because I uh, yeah again I, I I trust that it's you. But no, I'm I'm actually seeing this in in the machine in front of me, Dave. I, I'm scrolling through our premium box, and uh, which it, it, it seems to happen, and I see unable to verify message signature, yeah. and it's one that you sent. Correct. But if I click on that, it shows me again the certificate and all the data is consistent with the certificate of my keychain. So yep. there's something broken with the uh, yeah uh, yeah. Hey, we have uh, we have a bunch of tips to go through here uh, in show five thirty nine. We were talking about um, Norton Utilities, the old, old, old Norton Utilities oh and how it maintained a regular backup of your directory information in case that got corrupted. You could just restore an old one and maybe pull some data off. And uh, we lamented how that was gone. Well, turns out, according to Rick, it's not gone. Uh Tech Tool Pro still does this and defaults to doing it every four hours. So if you want to have something that's saving your directory, Tech Tool Pro can be the thing that do that does that. So that's actually pretty cool. Thanks for uh, thanks for sharing it. That I think I have a copy of Tech Tool Pro and uh, I don't think I use it regularly. But knowing that it does that, that's one of the easiest things to uh, to have a problem with is having your directory kind of go all south on you. So. Um, that I, I may I may start running that, John. That's good. Thanks, Rick. I appreciate that. That's good stuff. All right, uh, going down the list of tips, we have a bunch from Show Five Forty. Uh, nothing yet from uh, from Five Forty One that I've seen, but that's okay. Uh, that was a good show with with Mister Chris Breen. Moving on to uh, to new new adventures there, I guess. Uh, Robin says, uh, which Robin am I looking for here? Uh, some feedback and, and uh, some cool stuff found. So we'll run through it here for measuring Wi-Fi and network speed without needing terminal from both iOS and Mac devices. I use an app called speedy net available from both the Mac and iOS app stores. We were talking about using iPerf to, to check your speed, uh, your local network speed and, and your Wi-Fi network speed between your devices. And SpeedyNet runs on iOS and on the Mac and does all of this without having to use the terminal. It's not a free app, but it's relatively cheap. It's less than five bucks, I think, for, for each uh, uh, type of device. So um, Robin says, I keep one copy of this running all the time on my Mac Mini, which is connected to my network via one gigabit Ethernet uh, from either an iOS device or another Mac. I can then fire up a SpeedyNet uh, client and it will connect. It will find the server, the local server and run a very quick and basic speed test. Simple, straightforward and no terminal needed. Uh, all right. And then uh, also from that same show, 540, I know you guys hate iTunes and there are certainly areas it could be improved. I agree. 
but I use it as my primary TV and movie watching solution around the house. My extensive library of DVDs and Blu-rays have all been ripped both for TV shows and movies. And my library is now uh, 1.5. I think you mean terabytes in size, not gigabytes. Um, a couple of real useful tools I've found. Video drive is one. Once you have ripped your TV series or movie, you drop the files onto video drive and it will go out onto the internet and collect all the metadata on the shows. It can also search for subtitles and then adds the shows, movies and metadata into iTunes. This works a real treat for TV shows. You do need to name the shows with a simple naming convention, but it's a great little app. Uh, if you're like me or if like me, you like to keep your whole movie library with you when you're on holiday or business, then it's a great app to help you manage all of that. Toonspan is another one allows you to keep your iTunes library on your primary boot disc, but behind the scenes keeps all your movies and or TV shows uh, on external or network drives and manages all of that. So cool. That's uh, that's three things. That's SpeedyNet. Video Drive and Toonspan. So thank you for all of those. Um, that's good stuff. Thanks, uh, thanks, Robin. All right. Uh, any thoughts on that, John? Before we move down the list of tips here. No, good stuff. Yeah, good stuff. Exactly. Uh, all right. Let's see what else we have. Uh, we will go to. Oh yeah, Todd. Absolutely, Todd. Take it away, my friend. Hey, John. ADD Todd here. You mentioned in your current Mac Geek Gap that you wanted to use TinkerTool for showing the hidden stuff. I've got TinkerTool installed on my system. I'm running a really old MacBook with uh, Lion being the latest version that I can actually get to. Desktop utility. Uh, I've got desktop and TinkerTool, and for some reason, I forget why, Desktop utility seems to be easier to use. Um, when it's in your applications, you just go ahead, click on it. You can go ahead and click and view all your hidden. Go back it. Go back into desktop utility. Click and hide all your hidden, and click and exit. You're done. You now you've got your GUI for playing with your hidden. For some reason or other, ticker tool. I just don't use it as much. It, I don't know. I think maybe it was either a finder bar restart, maybe a system restart, but there was something about it that just made desktop utility so much easier to use. So I don't get caught. I won't give you any information. Keep having fun. Have a good one, and take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Have you, uh, have you heard about this desktop utility before, John? No. I'll have to add it to the list. Yeah, from Sweet Pea Productions is uh, is where I'm finding it out there. So, yeah, I know. I like it. It's good. All right. And uh, let's see. So we got that. Oh, coming back to Robin. Uh, we were talking about finder uh, replacements and using things to find hidden files and, and move around. Robin says, uh, hi, guys. I use forklift sometimes as an alternative for the finder. I started to use it as an FTP client, which is what it mainly is, but it does handle local stuff just great. It has a weird named option, show invisible items, but it does the job. So very cool. And you're right. You can, it, it is an FTP client, but you can set up multiple uh, local windows and copy stuff in between them. And uh, I think it's great. I like it. It's good. 
Have you uh, have you checked that one out? Did you, are you are you a forklift uh, user? Not in a while. No, yeah. I told you I'm a I'm a total finder type of guy, right. which does right. this invisible stuff. But, sure. Uh, yeah. 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 Cool. We will, it's from binarynights.com. So we will put that in the show notes too. All right. And uh, one last one on the list of tips today, I believe, from Francois. If I can find it here, I think so. Uh, no. Where is it? There it is. Oh, yes. I see why I couldn't find it. Okay. Uh, again, from Shell 540, listener David asked if it is possible to use Plex directly to an Apple TV. The response is kind of, yes, I'm using this setup to access my Plex server from the Apple TV and it works fine. And it's a little hack called Plex Connect. And uh, he says, and also if you have a smart TV, you can bypass your Apple TV entirely and let Plex's DLNA server just serve directly to your smart TV. And of course, that depends. I've got that here and it's kind of a mess. It depends on how great your TV's their DLNA uh, server is, but yeah, these smart TVs are actually pretty cool. It's uh, it's, it's, you know, it's amazing the world that we live in, but yeah, we'll put a link in uh, it's Apple. It, it's at Apple TV hacks.net. And uh, it, it uses a thing called, uh, I don't know. I forget what it's called, but it, it, it lets you change some DNS entries and, and actually access your uh, Plex library directly from Apple TV. So we'll, we'll put that article in the, in the show notes and see how it goes. You you don't have a smart TV, right, John? You're you're just you're doing straight Apple TV. I don't think stuff, I right? want one, man. Didn't you hear about this? I think it was Samsung or, or, or was it Sony or I forget which company. It was Sony, but but it was some company where buried in the small print, they said, "Oh yeah, by the way, the TV may be listening to what you say yeah. uh no matter what." Dude, go watch that uh that like, Snowden uh, movie. Go watch Citizen 4. Yeah. And you won't worry about your smart TV anymore because you know you're already being tracked. Oh, of course, we're all being tracked. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Uh, By the government that uh, we pay uh, the, the to track us. The tax dollars I was talking about. Yeah, yeah, well, they're just protecting us from 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 ourselves, yeah. from evil. That's right. Whatever. Yeah. No, that that Citizen Four movie. I watched that on the airplane. That, so I, two movies. I, I will I will highly recommend. Um, citizen four is one. I watched that on the plane ride back from Florida and totally it's a, it's the documentary, about um, uh, uh, about, uh, Edward Snowden and really, really well done. And, and they were so smart to have cameras there for the very first meetings. And it's fascinating how forthcoming he was about everything. And, and he wasn't trying to hide who he was anyway. It, it's a great movie, probably a great movie, regardless of which side of, of the, uh, the whole issue you fall on. Uh, the second one I'll, I'll recommend it, that I watched on the way down to Florida on the plane was Whiplash. I watched it before the uh, Academy Awards happened. And then, of course, that movie blew up with the awards. But uh, somebody had recommended it to me because, yeah. of course, I'm a drummer. So uh, but it, I think you'd, you'd love it anyway. So I'll throw those two out there. John. Sweet. Uh, you you ran into uh, to a little bit of malware this week, didn't you? Uh, potentially. Yeah. Now, number one, um, I was talking about this TV thing. It, it was Samsung. So if you okay. search and you look for Samsung TV listening to users, you'll find articles. But basically, I think they were like, yeah, by the way, we may be listening to you and we may create ads based on what we hear. Uh, just, you know, to, to as you, the customer, to, to give you the most value, right? Yeah. And that's uh, that's done by eavesdropping on, on your uh, private conversations. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, so uh, Dave, this was really bizarre. I couldn't believe this happened, and, and I'm not sure how it did. So I'm surfing around. I think I went to news.google.com, which I find is a nice aggregator of yeah. news articles. And then I saw a news article about something I was interested in. So I clicked on the link, and I think it was like national review, but it wasn't like some shoddy, you know, basement operation. It, it was a site that I've gotten news from before, and all of a sudden, an, a, a window popped up on my screen, Dave. Hey, I, I run this operation from the second floor. Not the basement. (laughs) Of course. Of course. And so I got a dialogue in my browser, okay, saying Adobe Flash Player in quotes. And I'm like, oh, there we go. Adobe Flash Player is out of date. The version of Adobe Flash Player on your system does not include the latest security updates, blah, 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 blah. And it shows a Safari icon and, you know, and it says software update. And I'm like, yeah, right. (laughs) Because I know better that my browser is not going to be telling me this or not in the fashion that it was presented to me, but it was pretty darn convincing, Dave. Huh. And then if I was a newbie, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I better download this. So, you know, just just for fun, Dave, I downloaded it. And I downloaded a file called Adobe underscore Flash Player underscore E2 C7 B underscore setup dot DMG. And I'm like, all right, now let's see what this bad boy's got for me. <laughs> So I am not afraid. Now, don't do this at home. Yeah, right. Unless you know what you're doing like I do. So I double clicked on it and it, I double clicked on the DMG. And then when you open it, it says, hey, welcome to product installer. And it shows you a very Apple-like installer icon. And it says double click to start the installation wizard. I'm like, yep, sure. Let's go for it, man. Double click on it. First thing it says. Now, this is information for you to determine whether you're being bamboozled. So it says installer is an application downloaded from the internet. Now this is in Yosemite. Um, Mavericks doesn't have quite as detailed uh, error message and, and they should, but it came up and it said installer is an application, blah, blah, blah. Installer is on the disc, whatever. And it was downloaded from 24 check dot fix updates. Now.net. Like, Hmm. You know, it's really a funny name for a flash update uh, yeah. for a site. Uh, to to contain a flash update since it's not Adobe. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, so number one, pay attention when an installer comes up. But I continue to move on here. I'm like, okay, let's go. So I click on open. And then here, Dave, and I think your feelings on this tool have changed, but um, our friend Little Snitch then came up. Uh, oh, this is getting even better. And it's like, um, yeah, installer wants to connect to os.conacono.com on port 80. I'm like, hmm. Sounds like Hawaii 50. Yeah, it's like, um, that's interesting. Uh, last I checked, um, Adobe didn't change their name. <laughs> so I'm like, why are you trying to go here? So I say, of course, deny. Then it comes up with another one, rp.samething.com. Uh, I say, deny. Yeah. Um, And actually, when I accept it, basically what they're doing, they're downloading the Flash logo from somewhere. It's like a distributed DNS network or something like that. And then it comes up with what looks like an installer. Now, here's the the, the final sin on the top of the screen. You know, I should write an article about this. Yeah. Uh, Other people have, but this is a very specific case. And I have. uh, Now, the third thing is if you go to the installer menu and you say about installer, this says, oh, yeah, installer version, whatever, copyright 2014, all rights reserved. Notice they don't have the name of a company in there. That's another place you may want to look. <laughs> wow. 
obviously the uh, people that use the Apple installer, it'll say copyright Apple. Sure. And people that use, and, and like even Adobe, um, they use, uh, it, it's not called installer. It's called something else. But even then, if you go to the about now, you know, these guys are lying. Right. Well, well, no, the thing is these guys are, are being uh, deceitful because they don't put anything there. They just uh, say, well, it's installer version 102.99, but who's installer? I don't know. Sure. The final sin, Dave, is that on the top of the screen, it says Adobe Flash Player, paren, capital M, capital A, capital C, close paren. You see the sin there, of course. Yeah. <laughs> huh. It's not... MAC, that's not how you say Mac. Right. So a number of flags came up there between what Gatekeeper said or or whatever, saying, hey, it came from this site and it's not Adobe. And then it reaching out to all these weird places that aren't Adobe. Yeah. So it was just amazing. Now, the final thing, and actually I wrote, so, um, you know, pacifist, Dave. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. To dig into uh, all the installer packages. Exactly. So for those that don't know, there's a package called Pacifist. And one thing that it does is it lets you um, get information about installers. And this is one of the files that you can do that with. So I did that, Dave. And the thing is, um, Pacifist will show you, though I I made a slight error. So the thing is, um, when you use Pacifist, Pacifist will show you both if an installer asks for authentication and if it's signed, but you have to make sure that you open the right file, that you don't actually open the DMG, but I, uh, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess this up. And let me try it here. So I'm opening the DMG, and I believe if you open the DMG, it will not tell you this information. Okay. No, you got you to gotta open the, the file that's within the DMG, which is um, a, a different type of file. And then it will tell you, um, so Pacifist does this. It will tell you, again, both if a package requests authentication, which is usually a sign that an installer is legitimate because it's asking for the admin password. Sure. Or if it has a signature, um, which, you know, we've talked about that. Well, we just talked about it recently with uh, email. But the thing is, if an installer doesn't have its signature, that may make you want to question it. If you try to open something like Apple, oh, that's the thing. So, so I tried opening the recent Apple update, and of course it said, oh, well, of course, this installer supports authentication, and it has a signature from Apple. Nice. So hopefully a lot of that made sense. But the thing is, I've been seeing more and more of these, Dave, and the thing is, I wasn't going to any shady sites, as far as I know, though maybe it was. It was, uh, right. again, it was a news article listed on news.google.com, and all of a sudden it came up. I don't know if people they manually somehow- vet. They manually vet sources for news.google.com. We, we went through that with TMO. Um, well, I know that, but what I'm saying, uh, wow. what my suspicion is that some ad network got infected with right. these guys. That's right. And they're the same guys where all of a sudden you'll go to a site usually, and I've run into this as well, where you go to a site that has streaming video or other video and it says, hey, you want to download M player, don't you? And it's like, well, no. no. Or, hey, you want to update Java, don't you? And it's like, no. no. <laughs> but they're getting away with it somehow. So the thing is, you got to be really careful. And again, I, I know what I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to questionable sites as far as I know. And all of a sudden, some ad network, I suspect, got bamboozled and they're carrying this bogus uh, flash updater that that clearly, with all the tips I gave you here, is not a flash updater. What it turns out to be, and if you use Pacifist, you can see what's in this. Sure. What's in this is JavaScript and HTML templates that basically 
infect all your browsers and you get bombarded with adware is man. what this is. That's crazy. Nice Woo. catch, man. <laughs> I was like, you can't trick me. Yeah. Right. I'm going to find out about you people. That's crazy. Yeah. The, the site and actually the site that I mentioned here, if you put it into, we've talked, uh, well, I'm going to mention this tool. It's called web of trust. We'll link to it. But if you go to this site directly, they're going to say, okay, these people are scam artists. Yeah. Do not trust anything you download from this site. Just terrible. And, and we've been seeing more and more of it, Dave. We had a couple of people write in that, you know, if you're not paying attention, it, it, I mean, it, it looked visually like an Apple installer. Right. If I had not been paying attention or, or noticed that it was just not happening at the right time, I'd be like, oh yeah, sure. Let's go. Yeah. Giddy up. That's right. <sighs> Yeah, man. Yeah. Nice find. We already had a vote for writing an article, so I'll go into detail because I got screen captures and, you know, uh, 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 all the stuff that happens that, that should warn people because it, it happens to people. It's, uh, again, if you're in a rush or you're not paying attention, you're multitasking, you could. Uh... Well, that's it. Yeah, I found myself. Um, I didn't quite install it, but I got close, right? Because, you know, that that's just how it works. So, yeah, man, crazy. I like it. Good stuff, Mr. Braun. Oh, I don't know where to go from here. Let's go to, uh, let's go to, you know, we talked about movies. So, uh, so we'll talk about Jeffrey and, uh, Jeffrey writes, I was listening to your last episode where you noted how well Synology's video station works. So we do have a comment from 541, uh, which has been my experience as well, except that there seems to be now be an issue with DTS audio on my ripped MKV files such that I can't get audio when streaming to an iOS device. I've looked around online and not found a solution. I'm wondering if you have. Yeah. So um, I actually typically convert my movies with handbrake. Uh, My receiver in the, in the living room does support DTS. So I can stream DTS direct to, to that. And it it's fine, but, uh, but I typically convert with handbrake with, and, and have it translate those down to, uh, you know, AC three, which is uh, not as high a bandwidth uh, solution as DTS. It's compressed a little more, whether it's lower quality or not probably depends on a whole lot of things, including whether or not you know that it's been converted from DTS to AC3. But I think there are probably times where I've noticed that, yeah, DTS is a little better. So I get why you'd want to leave things uh, that way. However, um, Synology, it, it's weird the way DTS works. You can stream it, but it, it needs to be up to the receiver to do it. Your iOS app will not support DTS. But if you want to store your movies in DTS, you can use something like um, um, Infuse uh, from Firecore. So firecore.com slash Infuse, but it's an app that you can get for, uh, for, your, for your iPhone and, or your iPad. And it will allow you to do DTS right on, on, uh, on the device. Uh, which is pretty amazing. That the, it's, a, it's such a smooth UI. You should also check out VLC, for the iPhone and iPad. That's one of those apps that kind of comes and goes. And right now it's, it's available and they seem to have, you know, gotten past whatever it is they needed to get past to, to keep it around. But infuse is, is the one that I use to, uh, to manage movies like that. And it works quite well. So, um, but if, uh, but I, you know, still DTS gets weird. I, if you're going to bother to do all this, I would, 
you know, again, I'll recommend Don Melton's transcoding scripts and, and go to AC3 and that way you've got everything that's just going to work. So that's, that's my feeling on it. You doing any of this yet, John? I know we've been talking about it a lot lately. Uh, my receiver supports DTS. Yeah. Yeah. Every now and then it comes up. Uh, yeah, it'll say either Dolby or DTS, I guess, are, are the two major surround multi-channel mm-hmm. technologies or two flavors. I, I think there may be more, but my receiver, yeah. I've, every once in a while when a movie starts, it'll say, oh, yeah, this is DTS. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> doesn't matter to me as long as I get... I get surround. I get rear channel. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. What one thing I will, I will note uh, specifically about Synology and, and DS video, which is the uh, iPhone and iPad companion app for video station is go into your settings there. And I turn on video transcoding and audio transcoding. That's fine. Um, but I set AC three pass through to no. Now, if you are streaming via your device, to your TV. And there's really no reason to do that because your device will stream directly to your TV. But if you know, you travel somewhere or whatever, and you're streaming there, then turning that on is fine. What that will let you do is download a a video that only has AC three sound. You will not hear it through your iPhone speakers, but it it can stream it from, uh, from your iPhone to like an Apple TV or something that does support AC three. If however, uh, you download a movie to your iPhone, that's AC three only, you can wind up in a situation where you're on an airplane and you have no sound. So turning AC three pass through to off will not let you download a movie to your iPhone that cannot be played on your iPhone with full sound. Um, so let's bear that in mind and I'll leave it at that. I know that, I know that gets very, very focused here, so we won't go too deep with that. So, all right, John, you want to take us to, uh, you want to take us to Andrew? Yes, because I think I got an answer. All right, go. So, Andrew made an observation. He said, recently, a user in my network asked what happened to mail after upgrading the computer, Mac Mini, to Mac OS 10.10.2. Evidently, mail used to do the following. In a mailbox, click on a message in the from column. Click once on the from column column heading. In previous OS versions, meaning prior to 10.10.x, it would find and sort by that one name and only bring back messages associated with whichever column heading you chose. Now the behavior has changed and it only alphabetizes the entire inbox and does not sort or find for the highlighted email. Is there any way to restore this? And yes. Well, here's the weird thing, Dave. So I verify this behavior between my two machines here. And that Yosemite somehow changed his behavior and Mavericks uh, the, did it the, the way Andrew and, uh, and this user preferred. So I'm like, all right, let me see. You know, I bet you there's a keyboard shortcut that'll fix this. And the thing is, there is. Really? Yes, there is. Now, I don't know where I got. I found it. It was, it was a keyboard shortcut to do something else. But I'm like, you know what? In mail, I wonder. And, and I think it was a keyboard shortcut that I found that says, like, jump to next parenthesis or jump to this or jump to that. But I'm like, I found a keyboard shortcut. And I'm like, you know what? I think this will solve it. And it's control M. Control M. Not command M. Right. Huh. Right. And so what I did is, so I went on Yosemite, I went into mail, yeah. I went into, I think, my TMO mailbox, Okay. I highlighted, a, a, which I normally sort, and I think most people sort by date, 
Sure. And then I clicked on a message, clicked on the from column, and sure enough, it disappeared into the abyss. And I'm like, where did it go? And then I hit this control M shortcut and it jumped to the message after the one that was highlighted. Uh-huh. Now, the thing is, I gave this to Andrew and Andrew wrote back and said, eh, it doesn't quite work. No, I, I, I verified a number of times here that no, it jumps to the message after the one that was highlighted. And I think that's the closest you're going to get. Now, the other bizarre thing is, I don't know what else I did, Dave, but all of a sudden, when I revisited mail in Yosemite and tried this, it worked exactly as it did in Mavericks. And then it jumped, it, it, it would jump to the message and sort in the from column. And I'm like, so I don't know if it's a random bug or if I hit some other key combination that all of a sudden changed the behavior. I couldn't find anything in secrets or, or other places. So I think that's the closest you're going to get is that now it seems it's weird because control M is return, right? But return does something different. <laughs> that's true. Well, control M is return. If we're talking ASCII. Yeah, that's right. 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 Because right. right. the first oh, time man, I forgot about M? that. That brings me back to, yeah, our Apple yeah. two days. At first, I'm like, wait, control M, that's return. And I hit return, and that did something totally, I think it opens the message itself that you're highlighting. Yeah, so. return is more enter these days. So, yeah. Right. So, wow. Maybe a mini geek challenge here. If anybody knows, number one, sees this behavior, because I saw it both do what Andrew said and do what it did in the last version of mail. <laughs> and I also saw this keyboard and I don't know if there's a better keyboard shortcut. This one is pretty close. And I think that's the best you're going to get here. Or you could just man. like a caveman scroll down, you know, <laughs> to that message and be where you're at. But yeah. I can understand the frustration. Yeah, I used to do what I want. And now it doesn't. That's what I got for that. Pretty good stuff. All right, Tom, um, Tom asks a question, but I think he mostly answers it, but it's a good discussion to have here. Um, he says, I have a question where I think many of our listeners struggle. Uh, recently, I took the step to upgrade my Mac mini with a 500 gig SSD. This is an addition to the one uh, to the original one terabyte drive in there. Uh, for some very big libraries, iPhoto, iTunes, virtual box, virtual machines, I have chosen to put those on the one terabyte drive. And for some of them, my Synology NAS would be an option, but I digress. Great. Until I realized I had File Vault 2 enabled. As far as I know, File Vault only encrypts the boot disk. So, to be on the safe side before booting into the SSD, I've chosen to disable File Vault on the hard drive just to be sure I could symbolic link part of the libraries in the home directory. Because I can imagine if I boot the SSD, not yet file vaulted, then I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be able to access the files on my hard drive. Now to move on, how to encrypt both the boot SSD, presumably with file vault and the hard drive, presumably with finder encrypt. But what will the user experience? Will they have to first log in? Will the password be saved in the keychain, or maybe better to use TrueCrypt? So going backwards through this, absolutely do not use TrueCrypt. It's been proven to be uh, bad, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. TrueCrypt was totally. Uh, um, the, the whole thing was was they were they, they were passing keys to the government and all that stuff, right? So TrueCrypt is is off the list. Oh, I thought they got compromised. I didn't think they were being bad. Hmm. I think, okay. uh, I don't know, but they were compromised. So, you know, right. Yeah. For so, whatever um, reason. I don't, yeah, yeah. 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 I may, I may have the facts wrong, but, but, uh, or the, the particulars wrong, but, but don't use true crypt file vaults. Great. So, um, if you had, uh, now going back to the beginning, if you had 
left your one terabyte drive encrypted, which was done originally with file vault. And now it's not the boot drive anymore. It would still ask you for the password when you went to mount that drive. That's just how it works. So regardless of how it was encrypted by OS 10, whether file vault or if you, you know, highlighted it and used file encrypt, when you try to mount that drive, it's going to ask you for the password. So you would have been fine, even if file vault wasn't enabled on your, on your boot disk, um, you would have needed to know the password, but that's the point, right? So, uh, so that would work fine. And yeah, I, you know, I think the right thing to do is to encrypt the boot drive and then encrypt the, um, you know, encrypt the boot drive with file vault. Like you said, encrypt the, uh, the one terabyte drive with file encrypt in the finder, just like you said, and you're going to be fine. Um, but I wonder about the reason to encrypt a drive on a machine that's not moving anywhere. You know, I, I do file vault on my laptops that that's a no brainer. I don't do it on any of my other devices because they're, you know, especially a machine like this, it's on all the time. Right. So what's the, I do. Yeah. Okay. So what's, I mean, other than just because it's geeky and cool to encrypt it, What's the point of encrypting on a drive that's it, it, my, the reality is if on my laptop, you know, I'm traveling about with it. It's not um, a big stretch to say that it might get into the wrong person's hands because I'm, you know, I've got uh-huh. it with me and I'm out and about. But if someone's in my house or in my office at yeah. the computer, yeah, uh, I have bigger problems than them. Accessing yeah, but still the one of your problems could be that someone in the, in the, the dark of the night steals your computer and has your hard drive. Okay. Yeah. That's the reason I'm going to give you, I mean, you know, I, I live in a pretty rough neighborhood here. I mean, <laughs> you know, I get break-ins, you know, weekly. No, no. The next, next city over. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, no, we're pretty good here in Fairfield though. We, though, though I would say of, of the crimes that we do have here, um, home invasions and people breaking in is probably one of, one of the top yeah, but, ones. But again, if if you have someone, I, I, I don't see home, any reason. I don't see any reason not to do it. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Again, somebody could run in the house and say, "Hey, look, there's an Apple product. Hey, I could probably sell this for a couple hundred bucks or thousand bucks or whatever, and uh, and grab it." Yeah, uh, but all they again, need to I'd do not- is take the the hard drive out and replace it, and and that problem sure. is no longer there for them. Or just format the drive, right? You know, they don't need the data. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But. Well, to, to our past discussion, though, that, that is actually a, a good reason. Even if they reformat it, um, if you use File Vault, especially on an SSD, um, which I have on both my machines, including my Mini, uh, people will not be able to recover your old data. Now, again, no, I, I don't think but if the point mini... is to sell your device or right. use your device, then they're totally fine. So that sure. that's so, uh, that's my. So I, I run it on I run it on both. Okay, I, I don't see any reason not to. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Yeah. Again, you know, I'm, you're right. There's no reason not to, but there's very little reason to. It, it says you. Yeah. Says me. Right. No, I, I'm saying that. That's <laughs> what that's what I'm doing here. That's that's Dave, what I'm saying. I just found this. So um. Oh gosh. I, I thought it's a tip because we're talking about file vault and, and some of the challenges it presents. Um, yeah. One of our, um, I assume one of our listeners, but uh, she, she on my Twitter's uh, Sarah, I think it was retweeted a, I think it was a life hack, hacker article, but I had not known about this, Dave. So one of the big headaches with file vault 
is that when you reboot it asks for a password. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a big pain in the neck? Uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, actually, Wouldn't it that is. Be awesome if there was something you could do where you could boot a file vault encrypted drive remotely and it wouldn't ask for the password. Yes. Actually, that's you a can. great reason not to use you, file vault on your on your you server can. machine. You yeah, you really. Can. Yes. And believe it or not, and Dave, it's another one of my favorites. You know, how I love these things. Apple has a support article. So, so again, we'll find the life hacker article, but it was linking to an Apple support article. And the article is called OS 10 Max that support authenticated restart with file vault. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. It's a terminal command. And then you'll see it in the chat room. I, I didn't, I never knew about this. The, to me, that was always one of the, the big fish shakes that a lot of people have with file vault is like, well, what if I'm not there and I can't enter the password? I'm, I'm and like you said, Dave, if you're administering a, a machine, well, what do I do now? I can't be there to enter the password if I'm not there. Right. right? <laughs> so this is something that works on, on, I think your machine has to be a certain class or have a certain version of the operating system to do this, but you can see the article, but I was like, dude, this is like big, a big deal for people again, like you pointed out that need to remotely manage things. I think this would, this is a great solution. Okay. So it's built into the OS. Yeah. It's it? Supporting MacBooks, uh, 2009 or later, IMAX 2009 or later, Mac mini 2010 or later. Um, and it's it's a single terminal command. You're right. Sudo space FDE setup space auth restart. And presumably it asks for a, a password and then off it goes. Go, I would ask for a password because it's. I, well, when you do sudo, sudo right. but then the command itself says, yeah. hey, by the way, uh, yeah, don't ask for this the next time you boot. Hey, that's awesome. pretty good, man. <laughs> I had good. to mention it. It just came up in my feed like in the, in the last hour. And I was like, ah, wow, I like it. That's awesome. That's outstanding. It's good stuff. That's what we like to hear. That's what I like to hear anyway. It's how we roll here. What do we have? Oh, I had the EQ set weird for uh, for that comment we played earlier. Yeah, what do we have? True Crypt just mysteriously shut down. I think that was the thing. It's okay. just like everybody, no, nobody, re- but all, all of a sudden they said, uh, yeah, we're shutting down and find something else to use. Bye. Yeah, bye. <laughs> yeah, but, but it, based on kind of half, the, I, I've been half reading our chat okay. room and Steve Gibson from uh, Security Now actually says, uh, yeah, it's okay to use again. And there's a website uh, that I, I put in our, our show notes, John, called uh, is truecryptauditedyet.com. <laughs> and actually, it is sort of safe to use. So um, so you can still read, read more about it, about it there. Yeah. Well, I mean, to a degree. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Right. So, um, degree, we don't have a lot of those here, Dave. But you know what we do have a lot of? We have a lot of people who have questions. If you have questions, Dave, you know what I would do? I would send an email to feedback at MacGeekCap.com. Feedback at MacGeekCap.com? Well, that's just crazy, John. No, it's not crazy, Dave. It's feedback at MackieCab.com. And if you are a premium supporter, then you get to email premium at MackGeekGab.com. And if you're not a premium supporter and you have the means and would like to support us directly, you certainly can do that. MackGeekGab.com slash premium is the place where you can find out all about 
how that will work here. And for anyone who is, has been, or plans to be a premium supporter, thank you. Uh, we definitely appreciate your support. Thank you. Yeah. I think the uh, the uh, the goods uh, have uh, are are in the process of going out, Dave. They are in the process of being made. I I don't know. Or being created. Yeah, yes. they were created. I think they were created in. I, I want to say Arizona, somewhere there. They're being shipped uh, here to New England, where they will then be uh, individually packaged and sent to everyone. So yeah, the mugs are the mugs are happening. So thank you for your for your uh, for your Great. patience on that. Yeah. And also, it helps us heat our houses in these chilly times here so we don't freeze to death yeah we can still bring you yeah i mean we, we do so all much. kinds of stuff with the with the funds but uh yeah part of it is is supporting our livelihoods here and uh you know and then part of it is uh and our lives and our lives <laughs> well that's it yeah exactly yeah this is this is actually what we do for a living so uh and we're very lucky to do so and uh so yeah yeah send us yeah uh, dude dude it's like a community and you know what? I, I think exactly we have a few communities that. out there, Dave. What, 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 what's your favorite community right now? I, I, I think you kind of wax and wane on this. No, my favorite community is absolutely our, our new Facebook community. Uh, there's, oh. yep, Facebook.com. Well, you know what? The best way to get there is MacGeekGab.com slash Facebook. Uh, that will direct you right in there. And, uh, you know, it's a Facebook group, so you have to be approved to join and be able to post. But uh, anybody in the group is able to approve anybody that asked to join so uh and that's been happening pretty regularly so i mean it we, my yeah. guess is you won't wait more than an hour to be approved and usually it's yeah. far less than that yeah i pop in there yeah. um whenever i go to facebook which you know a lot of us do and um we, we trust all of you except for that one well guy. except for you sir and you know who you are that's right <laughs> <laughs> 206-666-GEEK is the phone number to call. And Geek, John, is? 4335, but that's not all. One more way. We're on the Twitters. I love the Twitters. It, it's it's so amusing. Between the llamas and the dress, Dave, the Twitters and the internet were just uh, out of control this week. And it happened after, um, you know, people predicted that Net neutrality would have uh, 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 some sort of effect on the internet, and that's it. You get the dress and the llamas, and take a look at the uh, the, the 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 logo that's in the uh, the feed for this particular episode, and and let us know what you see. But that's to right. uh, finish up here, so the twitters. He is Dave Hamilton. I am John F. Braun. That other guy who is flying somewhere is Pilot Pete. The podcast is Mackie Geb, and the publication is Mac Observer. All at Twitter absolutely thank you to michael johnston at the ios show and also get appler.com he converts the show and uh to aac and adds all the pictures and links and uh chapters and all that fun stuff so check that out uh we appreciate it michael and check out his podcast the ios show it's a great show really really well done cashfly.com c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com provides all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you as we mentioned, Linda, L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash M-G-G is the place uh, where you can get 10 free days 
of uh, of all their videos. So check it out. And really, my challenge to you is tell us. It's, this isn't a hard challenge. You get to do it for free and you learn something. Tell us what your what course you took. Uh, we'd love to know. I'd love to kind of share that out because I can't think of everything that you folks are going to be interested in. So uh, so you tell us what you're interested in and then we'll share it and you get a little little shout out in the show. So thank you to everyone that's done that. And uh, and thank you to those of you that will. Smilesoftware.com is is the home of Smile. PDF Pen for uh, PDF Pen 7 for the Mac. Great stuff that they're doing there. Uh, really well done. So you got to check that out. Smilesoftware.com. Also, uh, let's see what else we have here. I got to press the right buttons. Barebones Software at barebones.com. Rich Siegel from Barebones actually came to my gig last night. So uh, so go check out barebones.com. BB Edit and your Jimbo. Gazelle.com if you have something you want to sell off. That's the place to do it. Squarespace.com slash MGG with coupon code MGG gets you 10% off your website there. Drobo, D-R-O-B-O.com. Those folks make awesome stuff. So you got to check that out. MGG50 is the coupon code that I think still works there, but I'm not sure how much longer. So, uh, so make sure you do that before you miss out. John, it's time to end the show. So when we end the show, as you know, as you all know, we like to share some advice. John, do you have any advice that you'd like to share? I think I do, especially in these icy, chilly, um, dangerous times. And that's don't get caught. Made up.